This podcast was created to educate listeners on the experiences of diverse individuals. However, all opinions expressed by the host or guests do not reflect the overall standing of Tarleton Radio or Tarleton State University. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Making Space, a Diversity Dialogue, and I'm your host, Cole. This is a bi-weekly podcast where together we'll have questions answered about socially sensitive topics while learning how to create lasting relationships with diverse people. This episode, I've chosen a topic that has recently been on my mind, uh, defining misogyny and what it looks like in modern situations. In preparation for this discussion, I have done my own research into this topic and will be sharing the history of common terms, what overt and covert misogyny can look like in today's world, as well as what you can do as an ally in response to these behaviors. While we don't have a guest this week, I am very excited to dive into this topic with you folks. It is something, like I mentioned, that I have been personally very interested in lately. And as I continue to talk with guests and dig into these diverse topics, I am really being made more aware of the things that I need to work on personally and internally to be more accepting and the behaviors that I need to be more conscious of. Uh, I'm going to talk about an example. Um, I have an AFAB or assigned female at birth friend who really likes to take long walks at night and of course us living in Texas and at the time it was summer. They only wore a t-shirt and some short spandex shorts. And honestly, my first thoughts were, well, they they can't wear that out at night. They just can't. And my my thought process was it'll be dangerous for my friend to wear that at night by themselves, especially when there's an active fraternity house on the same street that they like to walk on. It took me a little while to realize that this is actually internalized victim blaming It's if something were to happen to my friend, it would one, not be their fault and two, not be because of anything that they were wearing. It would be the fault of the person that did anything and that my friend should really be able to wear anything that they want out on a walk at night. For this episode, I really want you folks to take away some knowledge of some of the terms like victim blaming, misogyny and sexism and recognize these behaviors within yourself and others that can be really detrimental to women and other AFAB individuals. We're going to first start with defining the term misogyny and discussing the history around the term. And of course, I'll include all of my resources in the description of this episode if y'all want to check it out for yourselves or learn learn something that I didn't talk about because, of course, I can't just read all of these articles to you as much as I'd like to. Um, But if you want to read it for yourself, check the description. Uh, I'll have plenty of resources for you guys. So first, the word misogyny actually originates from a nickname given to a, a negative nickname given to a man named Joseph Sweetnam in the 1600s, which is actually something I didn't know is very interesting. Uh, Joseph Sweetnam published a pamphlet called, in short, The Arrangement of Lewd, Idle, Forward, and Unconsistent Women. In other words, he wrote an essay to young men of the time warning them of the sinful and worthlessness of women 
with sexist jokes sprinkled in there. I It's actually a really long title of that pamphlet. I'm, I'm not going to read it out. It's very difficult to read, but you guys can definitely go check that out for yourselves. I'll link it. Uh, I'll link the Wikipedia to it. So following this publication, of course, there was a lot of uh, female writers publishing responses to it because because, I mean, who wouldn't want to publish a response to someone saying that you're worthless or you have a sinful nature, right? One anonymously written feminist play actually had a character that was kind of a stand-in for Joseph uh, named Misogynos, which kind of is where that misogyny term comes from, is that character who was considered a woman hater. Now, the term was actually very very much not used until around the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, of course, when the feminist movements kind of came about. Um, We're not really sure why. It could be that we just didn't hear much from feminist writers at the time using that term, or it could be that just because women weren't seen as an authority that we we didn't hear about that. But jumping to the 1980s and 90s, the feminist author... Andrea Dorquin describes misogyny at the time, like the the term's meaning, as a radical idea of a bias in society against women, that everyday situations were inherently against women, or at least the treatment in everyday situations were unequal, favoring men over women. Modern day definition is uh, a little different uh, because of the different policies that have been changed, the different work that feminists and advocates have been doing to promote societal change. But according to a Miriam, Miriam Webster, excuse me, the dictionary, uh, the term means hatred of, aversion to, or prejudice against women. This definition is very similar to what we think of as sexism. Sexism and misogyny have kind of been used as synonym synonyms nowadays. Um, however, sexism does have kind of a different meaning, like a generalized meaning and an action-related definition. So sexism is prejudice or discrimination based on sex, as well as behavior, conditions, or attitudes that foster stereotypes of social roles based on sex. Um, Both of these definitions bring to mind the idea of overt misogyny. That's what we kind of think of when we hear sexism and misogyny, Uh, things that are very obviously biased against women. For example, um, women's inability to vote or employers' refusal to hire women, those are kind of overt signs of misogyny and sexism. While this overt misogyny still kind of exists. Uh, It's definitely still there in some places. I'd really like to talk about the misogyny embedded in social norms, uh, unintentional misogyny, and internal biases that we really have as women or AFAB individuals or even as other advocates and men have against women. We're going to focus mainly on some terms that can relate these things um, to how they manifest and some things you may have heard before and maybe haven't heard before, and then we'll define them. The first thing we'll get started with is micro-misogyny. Those are small things that are said or done in daily situations that are rooted in misogynistic thinking or thought processes. So that that was kind of a, a long definition, but let me say it again. Micro-misogyny are small things that are said or done in daily situations that are rooted in misogynistic thinking or thought processes. 
So according to a 2020 article written by Samara Renner with Safe Harbor, uh, the article was called Micromisogyny Spotting an Everyday Sexism. Micromisogyny is actually considered everyday sexism. In other words, it is the sexism that is embedded in social situations and is internalized within us. It's those small things that are actually oppressive, um, can be offensive, can just further initiate or um, further help along those gender stereotypes and those gender roles. This everyday misogyny can manifest as man-interrupting, mansplaining, shaming, victim-blaming, sexist language, and gender stereotyping. Now, if you're not really sure what I just said, uh, because you haven't heard those terms before or you don't understand them very clearly, we're going to break them all down for you. Um, so let's start by explaining man-interrupting. The term itself is derived from the word man and interrupting. Uh, it that in itself kind of gives you an idea of what it means. It means men interrupting women, basically. When man interrupting happens, it is when a woman is talking and a man interrupts and takes over the conversation. Unfortunately, this happens often in the workplace when female employees are kind of sharing ideas and trying to put themselves out there during work conversations. While the term holds men as the culprit of this interrupting situation, even women can do this to other women. It it happens pretty often. Moving on from that, we have mansplaining. This is a more common and familiar term uh, that I have heard at least. Um, It is derived from man and explaining. This occurs when a man begins to explain a task to a woman in a condescending or patronizing way. Another way this can kind of form or manifest is that a man begins to explain a task without even realizing or without considering the fact that this um, female employee or person already knows how to do the thing or it's a very simple thing that doesn't need to be over explained. But this happens again often in the workplace, unfortunately. Next, we'll talk about shaming and victim blaming. These are terms that we recognize from the Me Too movement that have, in the past few years, become more active. Let's talk first about the shaming aspect. This often has to do with wardrobe or can be applied to how a woman acts. It relates to a feeling of no matter what a woman does or how she dresses, it's always going to be not enough. It's always going to be shamed one way or the other. For example, if a woman is assertive, she's bossy, cold, or hysterical, but if she's quiet, she's too shy and gets passed over. Or if you're going to talk wardrobe, if she shows too much skin or she shows any skin at all, she's over-sexualized. Or if she's covered up, she's called a prude and, and just not seen as a woman or at least a woman you look up to. The wardrobe aspects lead to the discussion on victim blaming. This term stems from the Me Too movement, again, and the sexual assault of women. This kind of behavior or thought process is to blame the victim for what has happened to them, thinking that, well, they were asking for trouble wearing such a thing or or doing such a thing is actually very oppressive and negative. When truthfully, a person can wear or do whatever they want, it is the perpetrator who's to blame. And no matter what they're wearing or what they're 
we're doing, it could still happen. Something I've seen often brought up in discussions and even on Facebook posts that pass by is in um, is a 2018 Belgian exhibit telling the stories of sexual assault victims um, next to where their clothes were. So basically it would be the clothes that they were wearing or a, or a, a likeness of the clothes that they were wearing when they were sexually assaulted with a little description of what they were wearing for sure and, and the situation. I'm going to link the story in the description for you folks uh, if you're interested to see all of the different exhibit uh, exhibits and everything. Um, but basically, it just combats the myth that clothing attracts this negative behavior. Moving on from that, we'll, we'll talk about sexist language. It is often the reflection of overt misogyny. Um, it's something you can usually pick up on. However, there are some phrases that are now so common that we we don't really notice them. Um, they slide by our radar. They're such a part of the social norms of everyday conversation. We just miss them and, and we don't question them. Uh, we don't even think that they might be bad. They, we don't think that they might be oppressive. One example that Samara from that article I mentioned before brought up was the phrase, like a girl. It's generally only used by men and boys to distinguish something. Um, for example, oh, Jack hits like a girl or Connor runs like a girl. But these terms and this phrase, being raised with this language creates a stigma in, that girls are inferior. Like being like a girl is a bad thing. It's actually used as an insult which is not only harmful for women, but also boys who wish to kind of explore femininity. That leads into the next and final descriptor of micro-misogyny, the gender stereotyping. So gender stereotyping is probably something you listeners have heard before. So keeping women in the kitchen and men in the workforce or Men are only good at science and women are only good at nursing or arts, like taking care of people or cooking. And more and more people are understanding that as young adults and adults, these stereotypes exist and really trying to break away from those stereotypes. More and more people are moving into the field of thought that women can be in the STEM field, which is the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics field. And men can be more comfortable in the arts and the culinary arts, the theater arts, um, sculpture, painting, anything like that, music arts. And then even non-binary and fluid individuals can have aspects of both and not be stereotyped into one gender or another. However, I'd like to really bring up something that Samara discussed, how we initially are taught these stereotypes, toys. Whether you grow up with a lot of them or a little of them, they're still very gendered and have those kind of traditional gender roles built into them. As we play with them, we kind of look at what are the girl toys, quote unquote, and what are the boy toys? The girl toys are jewelry, faux makeup, Barbies, baby dolls, the easy bake oven that I'm sure everyone has had at least once. And each of those things teaches a different aspect of how to, quote, be feminine or how to raise a child or be the woman of the house. 
If you take each of those, for instance, uh, jewelry, makeup, and Barbie all teach young girls or young children to focus mostly on beauty. That is your focus. Beauty is important. If you look at baby dolls, excuse me, baby dolls, you see that girls are being taught you need to raise children. You need to be taught child rearing. That is what you should want. Then easy bake ovens teach cooking. They teach you should be in the kitchen. You should be doing this. On the flip side, boys are discouraged from playing with the quote-unquote girl toys. This teaches young boys that masculinity is good. It is strong. And femininity is bad or weak. Thus limiting how much young boys and girls are willing to play with their gender expression and reinforces the notion that women are inferior. Even girls who want to play with masculine toys, it's okay. But when boys want to play with feminine toys, then we have, again, making femininity and girls inferior. Each of those definitions, the micromisogyny, man-interrupting, mansplaining, victim-blaming, sexist language, all of those are kind of external and social aspects of what misogyny looks like. I also want to touch on the internalization of misogyny that we think about on the inside, that we kind of have embedded in our self-identity. This internalized misogyny manifests as comments, thoughts, or self-identifiers that you hold onto internally that not only oppress yourself as a woman or an AFAB person, but also furthers gender stereotypes or the inferiority that women feel. An article called Four Common Phrases That Demonstrate Internalized Misogyny, published by the site Everyday Feminist, reflects on different statements that women say to others or themselves that are actually rooted in sexism. Some examples they gave were phrases like, I'm not like other girls, or real women blank, like real women have curves. The first phrase implies that women and girls are somehow inferior because they act a certain way. Like, while I'm a woman, I'm different than other girls because other girls are bad. Of course, women don't all act the same way. Each woman or AFAB person is different and has different strengths and weaknesses. So this term really, it kind of just furthers that women are inferior and being like a woman is inferior. The second phrase, real women, blank, or um, for example, real women have curves, implies that women who don't have curves are not women, or women who don't wear a certain thing are not women. That is actually really oppressing to gender expression, and any woman who doesn't fit the quote-unquote real standard are then feeling as if they aren't real women, when any real woman is an individual who identifies as a woman. Now that we've kind of looked at misogyny and what that looks like as it manifests and what the definitions are of different common phrases, I want to know what are we supposed to do about it? How are we supposed to respond? How are we supposed to unlearn these internalized and socialized behaviors? Before we begin to respond to that, we really need to understand that the majority of people who we encounter will not mean to be oppressive or misogynistic. 
Uh, of course, there's always that outlier that actually knows what they're doing, knows that is it is oppressive and they are, you could consider the original uh, definition of misogyny, which is a woman hater. Um, but most people really have just been so socialized to different phrases and have such internalized misogynistic tendencies that they don't realize what they're saying. They don't question their statements before they say them because no one has ever questioned them before. They say things that reinforce misogyny without really realizing it. So taking that train of thought, we can move to just a couple ways to react to misogyny from others, especially when it comes from jokes that are made or certain phrases that are used. The first one is to outright let the individual know what they said was sexist and explain why. While this is the simplest way to go, it is also the hardest approach to take, in my opinion. Especially if this person who made the comment is your boss or coworker or friend. It takes a lot of courage to flat out say, actually, no, that was sexist and here's why. It's very difficult to come out and say that. But as women, as AFAB people, as allies, we need to understand that it is okay to come out and acknowledge blatant misogyny or sexism. The second kind of response and reaction is to use humor to acknowledge the implication of what was said and the fact that it was not acceptable. This is kind of the quote-unquote softer way of doing it, a more socially acceptable way of calling someone out on this. Um, in an article published by the career site Muse called Six Ways to Deal with Sexist Comments takes this approach. They list different kind of humorous ways to call out sexism, like uh, one example I really enjoyed was playing dumb and making them kind of thoroughly explain the comment they just made. At that point, they kind of realize and understand, well, that, that really wasn't very funny, was it? And kind of understand that there really is no basis for what they said or what the comment they made was. I really recommend reading this full article. It's not very long. It's pretty short and kind of gets to the point. But it gives you a really good idea of how how to respond to these things. And I just I listed a few ways to respond, but there are more. And it actually gives kind of what they said and what you should say back in kind of a, a comeback response. I thought it was really helpful and I really enjoyed it. Again, all of these resources I'm giving you folks are going to be in the description. Now, when we look at addressing internalized misogyny, we actually have to unlearn a lot of processes. And, and that's kind of what I talked about when I first introduced the topic and the episode was I have to unlearn for myself and realize and be conscious of the things that I think and say to try to combat that internalized misogyny. It's not very easy. It's really not. It is an active choice to do it. Uh, you have to make an active effort to be more aware of what you say and think. A again, it it's very difficult. But in order to understand others and to further make connections with people and make connections that aren't based in oppression or putting other people down, you really have to be conscious of what you say and think 
and what other people around you are saying. If you don't really know where to begin with that, just kind of be more aware of what you're thinking and catch yourself when you think certain thoughts. Like, for example, if you think, quote, I prefer hanging out with women over men because women are so dramatic, end quote. If that goes through your mind, pause and don't be able don't be afraid to question yourself. Why do you feel this way? What caused you to think that women are so dramatic? Why do you think you're so do you think you're overgeneralizing that all women are actually dramatic? Um, be, because all women aren't anything. They're each individual people and being passionate about something isn't negative or a weakness. You really really have to think about those things and, and just like I said at the very beginning with my friend and what they were wearing to go out and walk at night by a frat house, I had to catch myself and say, it doesn't matter what they're wearing. I had to catch myself and say, it's okay for them to wear spandex shorts and a t-shirt in Texas when it's hot when they go for a walk. It's about being able to question yourself and then after that, being able to comment to others and kind of relearn certain things that that we've kind of all been taught inherently as kids. I'm also going to include a link to a short blog post um, titled When I Doubt Myself and Other Women from the organization Cultural Bridges to Justice. They kind of discuss what these internalized behaviors look like and how their workshop can really help you question those internalized thoughts and how to help you and other women push past these social biases against women. Um, I thought it was very interesting. So again, I'll include that in the description. All right, folks, I, I know that was a lot of information and I know it was just me today with you guys, but I hope you really enjoyed it. I found it very eye-opening to read all this information and just be personally affected by a certain topic is very interesting. Um, of course, there's plenty of material out there and plenty of topics left to discuss for the podcast. Um, but if you had any questions specifically about this podcast episode um, or if there's something I didn't cover, make sure you check the description for those links. But also, if you want to message me on our social media pages, because I'll get those messages. Um, it's at the planet 100.7 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can just private message and, and I'll get that. And we'll, we'll try to answer your questions as, as well as possible. Be sure to check back for the next upload. It should be right after this one, releasing some bonus content, which is um, going to be a live recording of the diversity dialogue um, at Tarleton State University with the Office of Diversity and Inclusion and International Programs. This month is the relationship between LGBTQ plus individuals and slam poetry. It was so much fun to listen to, and I'm very excited for you guys to hear it. For more updates on the show, again, you can find us on social media at The Planet 100.7, the radio station we're based out of on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And until next time, folks, uh, be safe out there and take care. Take care.